This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. The eyes of the world were on Denver this week as Colorado's Supreme Court disqualified former President Trump from appearing on our state's 2024 presidential ballots. But local GOP chair Dave Let's Go Brandon Williams says they're ready to fight back. So we've got our politics correspondent in to talk through the local ripple effects of the big ruling. Plus, does Blucifer belong to the people? And our predictions for 2024. Today is Friday, December 22nd. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city that is so ready for a break. Yeah, (laughs) that's us. We're ready for a break. It's definitely me. I'll say that. I know. I'm on vacation time mentally already. So it's Friday. We're here at the 5280 Magazine Studios. There's not a soul in this building. (laughs) When I got here, all the lights were out. There was no movement. Not a creature was stirring. Not even the copy editor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Bree Davies is here, our regular host. Hey, Bree. Hi, Paul. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Um, And uh, and a business note before we introduce our guest, um, speaking of the schedule, this is our last new episode of the year. Um, We are going to be back with new episodes starting again in January 2nd. Same with our newsletter, Hey Denver. We're taking a little break, um, although we are going to have a couple of of, uh, newsletters go out and then also some some of our favorite episodes of the year. Yeah, exactly. Um, That we've got, you know, new perspective, uh, some updates coming next week. So... um, I don't know. I love those episodes. Those are really fun to put together, and I hope I hope you all like them. Yeah. One other note before we talk about this uh, big story is uh, our membership program. Oh yeah. Yeah, we launched this. Um, you know, it's it's a cool new thing we're trying, and uh, really, it's just an opportunity for for you all um, to help make sure CityCast Denver keeps going strong for many years to come. There's four hardworking journalists that make this daily podcast and newsletter. So if we help you feel more connected to the city, if you appreciated mayoral madness this year or all the, you know, the talk about the best tacos, the best ice cream parlors, if you, if you got a hot tip on the show, um, or just because it's the season of giving and you're feeling generous, you know, we would really appreciate the support. Um, you can join and become a member now for as little as $8 a month. You also get ad-free listening, which is cool. A little bonus. Yes. Membership.citycast.fm to sign up today. And again, as Paul said, you're supporting us doing this work every day. Uh, but let's get to the let's get to our guest here. We got our, one of our favorites uh, to talk about the big news of the week, the big national news of the week that happened to be happening in Denver. Our politics and green chili correspondent Justine Sandoval is back. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, yeah this story broke, and we were like, "Well, we got to call Justine. <laughs> Someone's got to help us figure this <laughs> we out. We need somebody who understands this." <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Huge story. Huge story broke on Tuesday when the Colorado Supreme Court decided on a four to three ruling that former President Donald Trump is barred from appearing on Colorado primary ballots and holding office because he violated the 14th Amendment when he supported the, what many people call an insurrection on January 6th. Obviously, all those definitions are kind of part of the case. um, But Justine, this is politics. We need your help figuring this out. What do you make of this case? Oh, well, I'd like to preface all of this with I'm so sick of Trump. (laughs) Here we are (laughs) since 2016, but it is still a big issue. Mm -hmm. This is what a lot of people warned us about 2016 going forward with a crazy leader like this. Um, But basically, um, this case has ripple effects across the United States. It's something that is really going to need to be solved on a nationwide level level going forward. Um, and fast. Yes. Because these very, primaries are in March. Yes. In and, March. Our ballots the, yeah. need to be certified here in Colorado by January 5th. So the mm. Supreme Court needs to uh, hear this case, bring it up by at least the 4th of January. And this is like a matter of weeks. Also, we're in the holiday season. I 
you know? That's, yeah. That's a short time frame. Mm-hmm. When I was <laughs> trying to figure all this out in my head, I'm like, okay, what does all this mean? What are all the pieces? Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the biggest things that stuck out because, you know, if you're working on elections here in Colorado politics, you know, certification deadlines for the ballot. And when you, I thought about it, I'm like, oh, that's like tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> so it puts us in a really unique position. Um, but this whole case came about, um, I know people had heard the rumblings of this going to the state Supreme Court, but really didn't know where it came from. But so it came um, from a group called The Crew. The Crew came through. Um, but Crew is a, a, an organization, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. And this was a part mm. of several lawsuits that they um, put into place in many states. I think there's another one in Michigan pending at the moment to try to see which one would stick. So it was like that just Colorado happened to be yeah. the first out of a couple states where they were trying out. But this group, this, this they're group the people particular. that had the idea about the 14th Amendment yes. in January 6th. And like this might be the way yes, to stop Trump from becoming president. Again. Exactly. They found this requirement or this clause in the Constitution that said if you had part, it was a post-Civil War um, amendment that says if you had participated in insurrection, mm-hmm. um, it was to stop a lot of these radical uh, politicians coming out of the South post-Civil War who were still rebelling against the Union, kind of like now. There's a lot of uh, pro-mega Trumplicans in there doing the same thing and post-January 6th. Um, so if you had participated in insurrection, you could not uh, hold office. So that's what they found there. That historical context helps, honestly. It gives yeah. us a little bit of a picture of like, not a simpler time, but like Trump is such a convoluted product in the world. We think about him in so many different ways. But if you think about it from that specific viewpoint, I'm getting it a little bit more where they're coming from with the lawsuit. I think it's a brilliant lawsuit. It's so simple. When, when you actually understand what the amendment said and how what the definitions are, it's really just these two words. Like, what does it mean to be an officer? And was this an insurrection? And then the argument itself fits in a tweet. And everyone can have their own opinion. It's true. Yeah, I mean, Perfect. there are rules that we have in the Constitution on whether or not you can be president. Like, you have to be 45 a citizen born in the United States, um, and you can't have participated in an insurrection. And it's very clear, we all saw it, that he did participate. Um, One of the other arguments from the other side is he has not been convicted of that Mm -hmm. crime. So just because we saw it, if he hasn't been convicted, doesn't mean that he can, this can apply to him. The other thing is it doesn't explicitly in Article 3 say the president, and that was the argument from the lower courts that ended up going to the the state Supreme Court, was it doesn't explicitly say president. But the argument is why would it not, a president not yeah. be included? Isn't a president it's an elected an office. officer? Yes, right. an, an elected officer. officer. So that's how the, the state Supreme Court came to that conclusion. And I think there's a lot of allegations from the other side that it was liberal judges who were doing this for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. But really, there's no way that these judges are sitting there and making a hasty decision because of the ripple effects coming out of Colorado – are going to be foul across the nation. And Colorado's already been a major target for a lot of conspiracy groups. Um, you have the Dominion lawsuit that came out of here, right. the Joel Altmans and all of these people. Um, so we've already been a target. And now we're going to be even a bigger target, uh, mm. you know, for these election conspiracy theories. In fact, I heard this news and it was exciting to hear because this is the first time ever um, that, that's, that it's happened. But Im- immediately in my head, I imagine like, people storming the Supreme Court building here, like January 6th. Like, (laughs) this could be the beginning of all of that. (laughs) Oh, my God. God. That's uh, that's a scary thought. January 6th, the day after this certification of the primary ballots. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Oh, my God. Interesting. Well, I mean, we do have some indications of what's coming next. Um, Let's talk about the Republicans first. (laughs) This was my favorite quote of the week here. So this is the response from the state GOP basically has been, all right, if Trump's not on the primary ballot, Screw that primary. Um, this the, the the quote is from Dave, let's go Brandon Williams, uh, the chair of the state GOP. That's not me choosing that. That's how That's he, he specifically requested to be referred to when he ran for the uh, Colorado State House last time. He actually sued, so that could be on the ballot. So Dave, let's go Brandon Williams says uh, in an X Spaces event after the ruling on Tuesday, I'm not going to let these sons of bitches dictate who we're going to nominate. 
Justine, how did you how did you feel about that quote? Oh, Dave. <laughs> He's a character, isn't he? Oh, I have a lot of feelings about him. But, you know, we don't have a long enough show uh, mm-hmm. to get into that. But, I mean, I, they can say that. But according to the Secretary of State, that's not possible. Uh, Colorado put presidential primaries. What is this? Only like our fourth one, mm-hmm. our third one. So they put that into place. So if they were to do that, it would actually, it would be a legal issue and they'd have to go through the courts for that. Um, but I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that Dave Williams isn't aware of that. <laughs> well, and this is also like the shoot first, ask questions later party too. Oh, 100%. So they're just going to say whatever so. they want to say that's the most inflammatory. Well, because at a certain there. point, the courts are only so powerful, you know, if the people want Trump, if Republicans want Trump and they sure seem to based on all the poll numbers and the primary doesn't offer Trump as an option, like, I don't know, I'm putting myself in the shoes of a grassroots Republican. I would be pretty frustrated about that. That's a system that doesn't reflect my will as a citizen. Uh, that's where I struggle with this a little bit because I do see that, that point of view. Like, yeah, if we were in this position as Democrats, we might be thinking about it a little bit differently. And because it's Trump, of course, I mean, I think most Democrats are like, yeah, he's already committed all of these crimes as far as we're concerned. He's already, you know, he's he we didn't want him to be president in the first place. So for us, it makes sense. But and I by us, I mean, I'm talking about Democrats. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I don't I hear them, but I also I don't know. This is a ruling from the Colorado Supreme Court. Yes. Yeah. Pretty I mean, high. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is what the courts are for. It's not just like some random person decided it. This is important. Totally. And that's the argument, too, for this case. Going to the Supreme Court would be the ultimate decision. And people on, you know, the Dave sides are advocating to let the voters decide if Trump committed uh crimes on January 6th or not, instead of letting the court decide. But we already did let the voters decide in 2020. And then right. <laughs> took a mob of people to the Capitol to try to stop a free and fair election. So people are like, the jury's already out on the situation. We don't need to let the voters decide again that the court should decide this time. But it's most likely the Supreme Court's going to decide in his favor. Um you know, consider Based on the makeup of the court, yes, which is exactly. what you're saying at the Supreme Court level. Yeah. Okay. I feel like there's a question here about trust in institutions. Like that's what this gets at to me. And like, I was reading about this and, you know, Brie, we talked about why we maybe haven't covered this case very much. And uh, for me, it's always been like, I just don't really relate to it. I don't really connect to this Trump stuff the way, especially some like older folks that I know really do. And, but yesterday I was reading about it and I was thinking, this is a challenge to democracy itself. And I got myself into that mindset where I hear people talking about it. Like, if I want to vote for Trump, if I'm that conservative and I don't see him on the primary, then I'm thinking like, okay, well, these institutions don't reflect me. Like Trump's, Trump says he wants to do these other things. He, he maybe doesn't trust the way that we're running the elections. And I love Trump. So let's do what Trump wants. You know, that's democracy to me. And it's people have different ideas about what it means to vote now. Like that's, that's what's really changing and new here. Do you feel that, Justine? Oh, absolutely. And you can see it just in the commentary every time something happens that people don't like in the court. Like the automatic response from like Trump supporters here was like, we have to get rid of, we have to impeach the Supreme Court immediately because they, don't like their we ruling. don't like their ruling. Yeah. And it's turned into that every which way, even from the 2020 election. We don't like this outcome, so it must be wrong. And it just creates this really toxic environment where nobody has faith or trust in democracy. And my argument to people why Trump shouldn't be on the ballot, we shouldn't give voters a second chance because or to decide if he's going to be a dictator or not is it's risky. Uh, Democracy is at risk. And I don't want to sound like you know, an alarmist, but it really is. And there's been the whole connection with disinformation from the media and this whole campaign of believe nothing to the point where people don't even have any faith in the institution that we've committed Mm -hmm. to running Mm -hmm. our country. What I think about too is the next step, you know, like this same, this same cycle happened last year around the Roe v. Wade overturning from the Supreme Court. And it totally galvanized liberals who hated that ruling. Like if we're going to get, if we've got another ruling like that from the Colorado Supreme Court, might that galvanize conservatives to support Trump even more if they feel wronged by the system itself? Oh, definitely. I think that's, you know, Trump's strength, right? Every time everyone goes against him or it gets his base 
more riled up to support him. It's cultish (laughs) in a lot of ways. Oh, for sure. I feel like social media also, the role that it has played in the last, I don't know, 10 years of politics would speak to that cultish nature of things and Mm -hmm. the weird places that people get information and what they choose to believe and like weird memes from Facebook is like not where you should get your information. But that's (laughs) where a lot of people are getting their information on how they're going to vote. Um, all right. We've talked a lot about the Republicans. Let's talk about the Democrats here for a second, because this is another very interesting development, almost a mirror image of what's happening with the Republicans. Um, this is a report from the Colorado Sun I saw that the the Democratic Party of Colorado is uh, adding a new option to their primary ballot. Um, none of the above. They're going to put none of the above on the ballot. So uh, people who vote in the Democratic primary can vote for no one, but still Democrat? What? Do you, what I don't understand this, Justine. You know, I um, don't understand this either. Um, I think uh, a lot. this decision was made because there are people in the Democratic Party who aren't happy with nominating Joe Biden. Probably some of the same people who weren't happy with Hillary Bernie stuff a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And they want to not disenfranchise those voters or push people away from participating. So giving that option to have delegates who aren't bound to a candidate. Mm-hmm. I think it's a way that's what I believe. I don't know if that was the intent, but I couldn't see any other reason really for having <laughs> Yeah. Well, here's what the part, the chair of the party, Shad Mirab, past guest of CityCast Denver, said, um, explaining it to the Colorado Sun. He said, we aim to provide as many choices as we can to our voters. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, but it's also just like this. The guy we're probably going to pick is not what you want. So here's the, n- the null vote. Exactly. Instead. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a choice. I still don't know if I would vote. Because I'm not saying I would vote, but I've heard, I've heard this conversation a lot, especially around current uh geopolitical conflict is like, well, Biden's not my candidate. I'm not going to vote at all. I've absolutely heard that. Um, I don't know if this is a better option. Yeah. I don't, I I feel like when when I first saw this, I I thought, um, you know, what, what does this mean? And then I looked into how the delegates work. Like, so if you actually voted for none of the above, what would happen? And, um, apparently now the way that our primaries work, uh, the, the delegates are distributed proportionally, not winner takes all in the state. So whoever wins the Colorado primary is not going to get all uh, 87 Democratic delegates. The It's going to be like if, you know, 70% of people uh, vote for Joe Biden, then he gets 70% of the delegates. So it's not like none of the above. It's not like all these non-committed delegates would go to the convention and then just choose whoever they like. But what it if it goes like the other way? It 2% of the people. If it goes the other way, like what 70% do you of people vote for none of the above. Well, then I think it gets to the convention convention and then those delegates would choose. Yeah, and and then they would vote at the convention. Which would be exciting. Yeah. But it would empower the party more than the people. I don't know. I'm confused by the Democratic Party right now. I think it doesn't know what it's doing with itself and that's part of this is the solution it has right now because I think you have have a lot of young voters that do not identify with Biden uh, at all, Mm -hmm. particularly on current policy and they see that in the poll numbers Mm. and they're trying to figure out what they can do. And mm. it feels a little scrambling for a solution to me, mm. but that's just my personal take. My uh, my wife Megan, she was she and I were talking about this last night. And she was speculating that this might be a ploy to uh, attract more of Colorado's famously unaffiliated voters to vote in the Democratic primary over the Republican one. Justine, what do you think about that? Theory? I think that is exactly right. Um, uh, I didn't think about that aspect of it because you can only vote in one, mm-hmm. but yeah. as an unaffiliated, you get the option. You get mm-hmm. both ballots, yeah. So you can decide which ballot to fill out if you have another option that doesn't commit you and you still feel good about yourself being an unaffiliated voter, you're more likely probably to to vote on the Democratic yeah. primary ballot. But that gets into the whole like six dimensional, like strategic chess playing, all that, you know, you know, people think about that sometimes. I, I never understand that sort of strategic voting games people play. I also just think about how we have so many unaffiliated voters. And I, to me, it speaks to the fact that people don't want to identify with either party because they don't represent what they believe. It's very Colorado. Uh, you know, like yeah. I always say, we're we're a wonky state. But people will, like, especially outside of the metro, will vote across party lines. You'll see, like, more rural, rural communities. People aren't going to commit because maybe they don't – they're not – Republican per se, but their neighbor is and like their neighbor and they're running for office. So they're going to vote for their neighbor. And it's it's more based on that. And so I think, um, yeah, Colorado, all 
we I think we have the most unaffiliated voters in the country. Mm-hmm. So a lot of both parties have to really work on their strategies because you're really trying to persuade people who will vote one way or the other. Hmm. I also find this to be an interesting argument for the thing we were talking about at the top with Trump. Yeah. It's like Colorado is a place where these kinds of things are conversations because we mm. aren't hardcore affiliated with either party. I mean, we you know we know how unaffiliated tend to vote more democratically, but still, if you're not identifying as the party, it to me says that we're still a ground for change. Oh yeah, Our, the anti-Trump sentiment isn't coming from Denver only. I right. mean, it's statewide. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. the whole state. Yeah, we had we had that former GOP chair on Dick Wadhams, and mm-hmm. it reminded me of that. Was he was just like. We don't. I don't identify with this person either, and he's a hardcore Republican. So you yeah. could go either way. And I think that's saying. part of why the ruling, the Trump ruling, happened here is because yeah. I mean, as I saw from one of the lawyers on X this week, was uh, unlike some of the other cases in other states over getting Trump's name removed from the ballot. This case led to a full trial with evidence and witnesses, and some of those witnesses were these never Trump Republicans who stepped forward and said, "I don't think this is how yeah. my party should work. I don't think this this, this is a, clearly a threat to democracy." Fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, Colorado. Colorado politics. What are we doing? (laughs) What what are we doing? (laughs) We'll figure it out in 2024. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Um, And right now we're going to go to a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about our favorite blue demon horse. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. All right, we're back. Uh, we got a real fun topic here to discuss. Our friend uh, Patty Calhoun, editor of Westward, wrote a really great story this week about Blucifer, a.k.a. Mustang. Um, you know it. I'm not going to explain what it is. It's you know the blue, the blue horse demon by the horse airport. Yeah. Coming or going from the <laughs> airport, you have seen it. Um, but basically the story, according to Patty, is uh, the estate of the artist, Luis Jimenez Jr., uh, recently sent a cease and desist to a shop in an artist's collective called Abstract Denver, which is currently occupying one of the new pop-up retail spaces on the 16th Street Mall. That program meant to revitalize the 16th Street Mall. Um, but the, the the estate of the artist wants them to stop selling prints and shirts and cups and everything with, with Lucifer on it. Interpretation of Lucifer on it, I would yeah. say. It's not just like a photo, co- you know what I mean? It's not a copy of the, it's other artists' interpretations. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of an interesting issue because those interpretations are literally everywhere in this city. Yeah. Including uh, the logo for the podcast you're listening to right now. Oh, that's now. true. We have a little. Take a look. There's Lucifer. There's so a little Lucifer in there. We're, uh, we're also. Um, it's identifiable with our. With yeah. our place. Yeah, but here's how Patty ans- ends her piece, and here's what I want to talk about. Um, her question is, um, th- this is from the Abstract Denver folks. They want to know uh, what public opinion is. Can artists interpret their surroundings? Can they create arty homages to the cultural landscape? Are they free to offer their own take on Mustang, turning him into Lucifer or whatever, yay or nay? So what do you two think? This was so I – see, I see two sides here. Mm-hmm. I see the artist's uh, estate side wanting to control the integrity of the piece. Mm-hmm. But I also see the artist interpretation side, which is the beauty of art, is interpreting other works of art along with cultural and social movements and it, all the ways that art is used. And this is one of those um one of those things. And what I, the quote I loved from uh, one of the gentlemen from Abstract Denver was that uh, he, made a, he made a point about this being public art funded by the public. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just such an interesting approach. Mm-hmm. So Denver has this 1% for public art program where we have money 
taxpayer money that goes to funding these pieces. We have decided as a city that this is important to us. So I can see where his point is. We have a little bit of ownership over this piece and our ability to interpret it. And what I, uh, the other thing that uh, in their argument I liked from the abstract guys was Colorado is often represented by just our flag. Our flag shows up in all this art and like it's kind of played and it's kind of boring. But we could take Blucifer, this figure that everybody knows. You've been to Denver, you've been through the airport, you know it, and turn it into something I, like iconic for the world to see. Oh, I see that horse, I know it's Denver. And that's what, I don't know, that's where I'm kind of on the artist side of interpretation. Hmm. Hmm. I want to speak to the uh, legal side of this because sure. I looked that up last night. I looked up what the copyright law is. I have always been under the impression, you know, through all my podcast work that anything produced by the government through public money is public domain. So any, any, and th that's correct. You know, that's ge generally the rule is that it, the copyright is open if it's produced with public money. So like if there's a government report, um, you can use it. Um, but there's an exception for works produced by people who are not employed by the government. And so the estate of Luis Jimenez, I think, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. The courts might decide this case. Um, I think they still hold on to the copyright. I think they have a good argument. But aren't you a contractor to the government when you make something for them? Like, I, you're not necessarily an employee, but you are being paid by them. Yeah, but that, I, I don't know. I mean, that might be the thing that they have to, they have to sort out. Because this is a situation for a lot of artists. You're, mm -hmm. contact, you're contracted all the time to make art. You're not an employee of a place, but they're paying you to make something. Does it change yeah. the copyright if, so it's a sculpture, mm -hmm. and then people are doing like drawings that aren't exact replicas, they're just interpretations. Does that change the copyright law? Or does it become a new piece of intellectual property? Or... I is it still infringing on the copyright? <laughs> well, I don't know. We might have a, to talk to a lawyer a about part this. Of that, there's a part of that argument here from the family, though, is in the contract with the artist was very explicit about how only two-dimensional reproductions of the work could be used and where. So that is a question, but also most of the stuff that we're talking about are two-dimensional reproductions. It's not other sculptural work. It's like Lucifer on a T-shirt, mm -hmm. Lucifer on a poster. Lucifer on a book cover. You know what I mean? And so that would be a good question. I think that would be a totally fair question. Um, Justine, what, how do you feel about the, the you know, Lucifer the icon? You know, is, is he more than just the art, the piece itself that's out by the airport? Oh, yeah. I'm totally emotionally attached to that statue. You are, me too. I, I so am. It's one of my favorite things. I've been really attached <laughs> you know, for a long time. Um, and I think, you know, you either love it, you hate it. If you're like me, you pray to it before you catch your flight. Um, <laughs> or you pray to it before a Broncos game. I'll hail Lucifer. Mm -hmm. But that has become the issue, right? So people like me love it for this, like, kooky, iconic piece of art here in Denver. But uh, the widow of the artist has mm -hmm. actually had issue with it for many years and some of the lore that popped up around it. Sure. Because she feels like it's a misrepresentation. Um, Mustang, it's supposed to not look scary and demon-like. It's supposed to look powerful and large to represent like Mustangs that roamed the plains and roamed Colorado. Um, so it's it's supposed to have a different meaning than what we've kind of put around it. But when you have all of the conspiracy stuff coming out of the airport and we have this demon looking horse, it fits in with that narrative. So she's been pushing against that for a long time. And I know that um, I think that a lot of that ties into these lawsuits coming up now because his estate has been pushing against mm. already that already. Mm. I mean, you brought up the feelings about it. I don't like this piece of art. Yes, and you <laughs> I just don't. Hate don't. It. Yeah, I don't. But I, I don't. It, I respond to it the way I respond to all art. Either I have a strong feeling I love it, or there's reasons why I don't really like it. And there's a lot of reasons I don't really like it. That doesn't mean I don't want to fight for it on either side of it. But at the end of the day, it is interesting to think about how much we're informed by how we feel about that particular mm -hmm. piece yeah. of art. Because Paul and I were talking earlier um, in the Desert Rider exhibition this past summer at the uh, at the dam, they had another Luis Jimenez piece in. And it blew my mind. It's called End of the Trail. It's this take on a sort of really, really terribly a terrible representation of indigenous people kind of at the end of losing this massive battle for their land. And he reinterprets this this piece of an, an indigenous person on their horse looking really sad, but he does it in this like 
beautiful way with the way that he works with fiberglass and light. And I loved that. I reson that piece resonated with me so much. And I kind of couldn't believe it was the same guy that made this other piece. Yeah. But it just made me think it's so much about feeling. That's interesting because one of the reasons why I really like it, too, is the first year I ever went out to D.C. for a summer semester in college, um, Luis Jimenez's work was in uh, one of the Smithsonian's. I can't remember which one at the time. But, you know, the statue had went up. So I was able to make that connection. I really fell in love with his work. And, that you know, there's so many other pieces besides, you know— the Mustang. So I had that connection too. So that's why I kind of cherished it more like this amazing piece of artwork that, you know, ultimately it killed the men. So there's also that really like dark side of it too. Right. Um, But, you know, made me respect the sculpture more like seeing his work that year in DC. When you see it in this like really big con, I mean, the Smithsonian is, that's huge. And so you're like, wait, and my where I identify my place has a piece by the same artist, and that's something to be proud of. It's interesting how that plays into it. Can I confess something kind of embarrassing to you too? Yeah. This is a little bit scary. This is like my um, this is like a <laughs> transplant moment for me that I don't like to talk about a lot. But like six months after I moved here to Denver, um, I, I was starting to work on this podcast that became uh, Changing Denver, and uh, I loved Lucifer. I was so inspired by Lucifer. I wrote this short story imagining a past history of the rivalry between Lucifer and the big blue bear, where like Lucifer was the last remaining member of this rainbow herd of horses that used to run across the plains. And, uh, (laughs) I love this. I know I was very proud of it. And I, I read it, I published it. And, um, then I got an email a couple weeks later from a listener and they were like, Hey, you know, Lucifer, uh, it's not a she, you use the female pronoun <laughs> and they sent me a picture oh, yeah. of Lucifer's famous genitals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much a he, very much a male horse. Yeah, that one is confirmed. <laughs> um, so did you really love that horse, Paul? You didn't even eh, really look at it. I didn't know. I didn't know it I'm as well kidding. as I thought I did. But I mean, it spoke to me. Something about the visual spoke to me, but I didn't know the real story. Yeah. You know, and I think that's something I guess that I, I worry about here. Like, is the story of Luis Jimenez and his work as an artist and his meaning, or is there something about Mustang that he intended being lost when we add our own iconography to it? And can those two things coexist? They do all the time in art. They already do. But we do. And I, I understand that fear as well, because I agree. A lot of art for me here locally is very about context. And I love when someone says, oh, I love, you know, my fa- my favorite mural is Confluent People by Emmanuel Martinez. When someone posts that randomly, look at this mural, then I have to immediately go in the comments and be like, did you know who made that mural? And do you know his background? And do you know his role in like the Chicano Civil Rights Movement? And like, that's how I feel about art is I want to know those things. So mm-hmm. I can see losing what uh, Luis Jimenez's meaning was behind that is a little bit scary, mm-hmm. but also that's what happens sometimes when you give yourself, when your art goes out into the world, you don't have control over it anymore. Jack White has a really great point about this. So Jack White is a musician who has made a song that is played at stadiums everywhere. Seven Nation, Seven Nation Army. Army mm-hmm. Right. He's actually a huge baseball fan. So it wasn't like super surprising to me, but what cool. he talks about mm-hmm. is once I made that, I gave it out and it wasn't mine anymore. And it became this other thing that people loved. And I, I love what it became, but I couldn't control what it became. Hmm. And that's just part of what you do as an artist is you just have to let go. And, um, that, you know, that, that it's a little, I don't know, it's complicated to tell somebody you need to let go, but there's so many instances of this in our world where we don't even know the context anymore. Well, I think I, th- I think if Abstract Denver pulls the money together to fight this cease and desist order, the courts will decide. Now, how much we trust these courts to decide important <laughs> issues, like if Trump should be on the ballot and Lucifer should be in the public domain, that's another question. Um, all right, we're going to go to another quick break, and uh, we'll be back with our predictions for 2024. Uh, okay, here we are. So we're not going to do wins and fails, a.k.a. Rocky Mountain highs and lows, because we did our big end of the year, you know, last wins week. and fails last week, which you go, you should go back and listen to. That Justine. was a very fun episode with Justine and our friend Josh Emerson. Um, instead, we're doing predictions for next year. And we each brought uh, a couple, one a little bit more serious, one a little bit more silly. Um, I really, really enjoy this. I got I made a ton of predictions here. I don't know which ones I'm going to share. Well, um, just, why don't you start? Should I start? Just start rolling some out. Okay, I'll start with my big one. Here's my biggest one. 
Okay. I was looking at the Colorado Polling Institute's last poll in August of uh, Mike Johnston and favorability. How do Denverites feel about their new mayor, Mike Johnston? And at the time, uh, 46% of Denverites said they had a favorable view, which was more than city council. He was very popular at the time. Now, what's happened since then? He has lost the, the favor of the most engaged people, say like city council, say like NIMBYs who show up to neighborhood meetings about micro communities coming to their uh, neighborhoods. And I think he may also be losing the low information Denverite who are not paying attention and who are not seeing progress on the streets. You know, they maybe have heard some stuff about all this energy, about new shelters going up, but... I've seen reports online of, of new tents going up at 21st and Stout where there was a big encampment sweep just recently. So my prediction is even though this House 1000 thing has had a lot of positive impacts on like individual people's lives, I think that his poll numbers are going to be down in the next CBI poll. Huh. I mean, it, he's at the beginning of something that's really hard mm -hmm. and he took a, he took a big bite, mm -hmm. his very first bite as mayor. Uh, whether that was a good idea or not, I don't know. I'm not a political strategist, but it is, it does feel a little bit like he may not be getting a chance to try to follow through with everything he's talked about because the first bite was so controversial. And there's been so much blowback. Yeah. But again, the loudest voices are not always the most voices or the most impacted voices. Perhaps that's why I think it's all about what's happening on the streets. You know, do people, do business owners who have been complaining about this issue, do real people who have not been coming downtown because they feel uncomfortable, he, are they seeing a difference? But he created that, this administration created that fund that business owners can apply to that they feel like they've been affected by the encampments. So he is paying attention to the Oh, yeah. He's, he's doing a lot. But I, I don't mean, know. It's hard. Being the mayor of Denver is a tough gig. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and as the further you get into it, no matter what you do, just the city starts to hate you. It's really unfortunate because um, we're not really looking at what they're doing and measuring that way. It's really just opinion from one day to another. Mike Johnston's been around a long time, and he's a pretty likable dude. Like, people have different feelings about, you know, stuff he's done in the past, but nobody really, like, has this I like feel like we loathing. don't know him yet either. Yeah. That's the other thing is like he has been around a long time, but the mayor's office exactly. is – Exactly. To be fair, our last mayor was in office for 12 years. Mm -hmm. That's a long time to get, quote, get to know somebody. So I'm not saying like give Mike a chance any more than we gave – we did or did not give Michael Hancock a chance, but Hancock had 12 years. So we're what, six months, you know, six nine months, months in, in or something. But, you know, on my way here, I noticed um, outside of the post office building of like 20th and Champa, there had been a huge encampment there. Just like Monday, I think I saw. Oh, really? It, and it's gone. Oh, wow. So it looked like they had to do it like yesterday or overnight, um, but it was gone. It was fenced off. Hmm. So that was surprising because I had that thought in my head earlier in the week because it was a huge encampment right there. And I was like, well, I wonder what their, the plan is. This has been here and they apparently have moved them. Um, so I'm seeing that happen in my neighborhood where there are a lot of encampments. So we see the progress moving. I think the came out with reports this last Monday that there or last week that 800 plus people have been I housed. I saw that too. Yeah. And so, so maybe they're getting close to that goal more than we thought they would. Yeah, I mean, I, don't know. I, I think they're going to hit the goal. I, th I think they have everything in place to hit the goal the in the terms year? of the numbers. But there have been so many questions about the nature of the goal and like how we're defining housing yeah. and what is a housing outcome. And like that's where I think he's losing the, the more engaged folks. Yeah, yeah. Because on that, level. that conversation about where, where these numbers miss – uh, was the data misinterpreted or was the data misrepresented or was it mispost? You know what I mean? Like yeah. how the dashboard was working. And so that didn't instill trust in people. You're right. Mm -hmm. And no, there's never been a clear consensus on like how we deal with unhoused people in the city. And so nobody's going to be like, all right, he's doing the plan because nobody <laughs> agrees agree on, on what, what the plan, plan should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. with you. Anyway, my prediction, Johnson's favorability will be down. Um, who wants to go next? <laughs> uh, I will. Mine's kind of connected to that. Mm, bring it on. Uh, I think that the 16th Street Mall, which is under construction until 2025, yes. um, and the governing body that controls it, the, D the Downtown Denver Partnership, will finally realize that it it can't just do pop-ups for businesses. It actually has to be part of the housing solution mm. um, following Hancock, or I'm sorry, following Johnston's 
plans and maybe be inspired by it and say, okay, we do have this empty office space. It just keeps getting emptier. And maybe we should figure out a way to create, if anything, even some transitional housing, because I think that's the biggest complaint that folks have about the 16th Street Mall when it is regularly operational, is people feel like it's kind of wild and that there's a lot of unhoused people there and that's why they don't go down there. And I think that the DDP has an opportunity to deal with this and be a part of the solution. And maybe they'll feel the pressure to do so because the pop-up business things is not changing, mm -hmm. magically changing the nature of the 16th Street Mall. And these pop-ups are getting hit by lawsuits left and right here from <laughs> the powerful estates of <laughs> oh, famous God. artists. What can they do? But like, I mean, the Downtown Denver Partnership is represents the business owners mm -hmm. of downtown. They have a lot of sway when it comes to real estate. They have a lot of sway when it comes to public policy within the city. They were, th this organization was one of the biggest vocal backers of the camping ban. We are still in the midst of that. They could correct course a little bit and be part of this solution. And I just see, I think about that conversation we had with my old um, boss, Brad Paul, mm -hmm. the real estate economist. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not, I, most of these buildings are not ideal for housing, but I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. So, so you think the, the, the prediction though, is, is that the downtown Denver partnership will Launch some kind of program that involves or housing. Involves housing. Uh -huh. Love it. Great I, prediction. Totally. Great prediction. I think that if that happens, that would be huge. And it'd be so important because there's been this big push. The other thing is these businesses down here have been shutting down because they can't find workers who will take the jobs. But you're not going to travel all the way from Aurora or any of the or suburbs. Vada or yeah. wherever you found get, affordable living. Yeah, exactly. Where it's affordable to live. Right. Where you would work these jobs and have to come all the way and commute into the city. Uh to work the, these jobs. So it makes sense. You put your workers where they they work, where they live, where they work. Which people have been saying forever. Mm -hmm. Add Sarah, the 15-minute city thing. Yeah, or whatever that is. Yeah, mm -hmm. that thing. <laughs> so it's advantageous from many from many directions. Will they Will they have the appetite for it? Will they be adventurous enough to try something like they that? They have, certainly have the power to do it. I wonder. I wonder. Uh, we'll see. Um, Justine, how about you? What's your prediction? Well, my prediction's very fun and hopeful. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I predict the Broncos, the Avalanche, <laughs> and the Nuggets will all be in the playoffs next year. And technically, the Broncos will win the next year in the Super Bowl. But we'll bring home a triple championship, <laughs> and we'll all unite together against the Rockies. The Rockies will finally just have to move Oh, wait, out I just town. left the Rockies out because I'm realistic <laughs> on the prediction. But... <laughs> I love this. I was trying to think of a sports one too, because, you know, I'm like just very basketball oriented, but if we could get all hit all of those, that the city would explode with joy. I feel like Avalanche definitely going to make the playoffs. They're looking hot this year. Nuggets, clearly one of the best teams in the yes. league, right? Still, I mean, yeah. superstars all around. They're going to make the playoffs. Unless the they have the, the, injuries if, could happen. And also if the refs don't just technical Jokic right out right. of the NBA. But the Broncos. So you're saying the Broncos are going to make the playoffs this year? Well, I've been this making season? this prediction since I was like nine years old okay. every year <laughs> consistently. Okay. Wishful thinking a little bit. I, they do have a chance. I think last time I have been very into football since last year when I decided to do this, but <laughs> I saw that they have like a 20% chance of making it this year. They cannot lose a game. Yeah. But it, there's four more games and, you know. They're winnable. They're winnable. Yeah. I think, I don't know, looking at their <laughs> we record. We love a good story about yeah. ourselves like that. Wouldn't it be nice? Broncos fans Broncos are, have surprised are beat down and battered, but they still, you know, you know. Oh, you, yeah. We're, we're from a family of Broncos fans. We would do anything. I mean, it's that. a good year to buy gear for people because <laughs> all these like bad <laughs> years, that's when I load up on Broncos stuff. Oh, Everyone's getting Broncos stuff for Christmas <laughs> for, you know, when we win. Mm -hmm. Then you have a closet full of stuff. I love it. All right, let me hit you with my my silly one here. Okay. Um, so Casa Bonita. This is the year that they sort of reopened. Yeah. And I really think- Really disappointing rollout. Yeah, we got this slow rollout where they're figuring things out. Um, I predict that Casa Bonita will not open for traditional restaurant service in 2024. Really? Really. Why? I think they are going to come to a realization that this restaurant space was not built for traditional restaurant service. 
Like, I don't think it's ever going to be a walk in the door, get a table, have a meal, and then wander around kind of place. I think they're going to realize this really has to be a ticketed affair, and we have to have more control over the flow of this restaurant. But and this still... email system is going to be more like the permanent system that they end up with. But what about the uh, the randomness of who gets picked? Is that going to change? I feel like they'll change that. But I'm not sure about that. I just think traditional restaurant service is not what they're going to land on. Well, wasn't the old, I'm trying to think back, uh, it was like a buffet line, right? It was different, like, and it flowed through. So you went yeah. through, you ordered, and then you got your plate and your chart, and then you found a seat, ate, and then you moved on. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's not for camping out, not yeah. for campers. So the flow has to change and maybe go back to that model. But it this, like, the model now is not sustainable for visitors like we were talking last yeah. time about you can't come just, to Colorado and yeah. go to Casa Bonita you have to pray that someone you know has gotten a golden ticket and will get you a reservation yeah, yeah. I think they're worried about this and I also think they really really care like we know how much money they spent oh, yeah. invested in this and I think they're gonna keep spending so they can get it right and make sure that this is the the beautiful asset to the community that they dreamt of. I just, I, but I want to speak to the frustrations really quick that I know people have. And I think part of it is communication and they've got to get better at that because it was all Jared Polis and let's wave our, we're so excited. And then nothing, mm-hmm. nothing. It was like, you got to, you have to be more communicative with the public because yeah. it's, you're building a lot of resentment and anger from people that genuinely love that place. Yeah. People were hanging outside for word on yeah, when it was going to open. Like, <laughs> so they're like, well, we're not hearing anything. We're just going to wait outside. For the next few weeks. My question is, will you still get to like go there on a field trip? Or I remember taking, I used to be a camp counselor. Try taking 40 children through that line. Oh boy. Totally bananas. We'll see. Bedlam. Yeah. Um, Okay. Brie, give us your second prediction. Uh, My prediction is the Denver Public School Board will just stop making headlines and become besties and just (laughs) put their- No more problems. I mean, the resigned DPS parents- group right. uh, disbanded because they got their mission done, which I think we speculate a little bit was mm-hmm. they director Anderson has moved on, but all the mayor's picks that he endorsed won seats. So like maybe what if they just stop making headlines and just get shit done? That's mm. what I'm hoping for. That's my, that's my prediction for the DPS board. Quiet school board in the new year. Yeah. That's an interesting prediction. Less headlines. How are we, how are we going to measure that? Like less headlines. Less headlines? Yeah. So if there's a scandal with the school board or if there's like a, a headline that's like, like drama oh, on the school she's board. she's at it again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, drama-free school board. As someone who grew up with a grandmother who was highly involved in the yes. school board, there was never a drama furry. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, it's politics when it comes down to it. I just think that the, the headlines were so much that- Yeah. I guess mostly just for reporters, we were fatigued. I don't think the average person was paying that much no, attention. No, I don't, I don't think the average person really. <laughs> They're just like, whatever. Does my school yeah. operate functional for my child to go there? Great. They're yeah. going there. I like that the group disbanded because sometimes those groups go on and redevelop into That's another group. That's what I thought. And then wreak havoc from there. I'm like, no, you got your mission done now. Yeah, I was kind yeah. of impressed that they were like, we had one thing to do yeah. and we did it. it yeah, we're cool. not going to go bother anybody else anymore. Yeah, because then, yeah, you lose sight of the mission, yeah. and oh, it gets crazy. We know and plenty they turn of organizations into, that are in that. Yeah. Yes. They turn into some mommy group <laughs> and then terrorize everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. So. Um, Justine, one last prediction. Bring us home. Here's my happy prediction. The Colorado General Assembly will have an extremely productive legislative <laughs> session, and the Democrats will one. unite harmoniously <laughs> and push together some really great progressive policy that helps Coloradans across the state. I want that for you and us. Mm-hmm. I it's want the that. dream. It is the dream. You know, I think— Looking back, I said this years ago when we took the majority that people were really confused that all this fighting started to bubble up. Like, what happened? You all took control. And I'm like, that's the worst fighting in family fighting. Like, it's easy to fight the Republicans. That's like, but it's clearly when the dirty stuff comes out. Oh, yeah. It's like you're fighting your own family. Yeah. And, you know, I'm harsh on a lot of people in there at the moment, but I think. 
you know, I do have to give a shout out to the people who are really in there sincerely trying to create good policy and to the staff and the people behind the scenes who work really hard, who are like the policy people who pull up the laws and make the copies. Do all the research. Yeah, do the research. So I hope that they all have a really productive year and it's not as stressful (laughs) as it could be and that, you know. Yeah, those staffers get lots of coffee and cookies and treats. I love it. Get things done. Be nice. (laughs) Shout out to the staffers at the Capitol. Oh, for Um, real. I mean, really. But Justine, you got to admit, this is a long shot prediction. I mean, after the last few weeks, we've seen two Democrat. We've seen uh, Democrats resign. Ruby Dixon was one. She she was saying that the uh, work environment is too sensationalistic and vitriolic. Um, I think there's been at least a few others resignations, and then. You know, as we heard from uh, Representative Tim Hernandez on the show a couple of weeks ago, he was asked to resign over his statements on Israel and Gaza. And then there was this whole emotional scene with Elizabeth Epps at the special session. And like, I don't know if this is like a kumbaya <laughs> moment here. Like I, w- I would be making the opposite prediction. In fact, yeah. I may. Um, you think it's going to be just all hell breaks loose? Absolutely. Continues to? Oh, yeah. No, it, it, the reality is going to be a rough session. <laughs> that was my... My, um, you know, optimistic prediction, which I'd like to see happen. Just like I'm not sure if the school board is going to be I know, quiet, but. <laughs> I know. I just thought if we didn't have to talk about it so much for, yep. I don't know, a couple months, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's we'll there's a lot of, of stuff to work out over um, in the state capitol, and I hope they get it done. And there are, there are big issues that need to be resolved um, despite people's opinions or what's going on, people resigning. Things still need to get done. Mm-hmm. And really important day. things, housing um, is something that they weren't able to you know, finish completely last year. They need to keep working on that. Um, there's you know, funding issue. We need to look at funding statewide addressing homelessness because it's not just a Denver issue. It's a statewide issue. We have so many things that need to be dealt with that people of Colorado depend on. Um, so I'm really hoping that things can get together there just and wishing them luck. Well, that is an interesting prediction. I think that was six interesting predictions. Yeah. Um, we are going to write those down. Yes. And we will have to reconvene. Yeah. Oh, in a yeah. year. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to listen and agree back. Right now. Yeah. Yes. Check, we'll begin ready for the Broncos <laughs> next year at this time. <laughs> They'll be number one. <laughs> I will have forgotten the names of the DPS board. I won't yeah. even know who they are. Um, well, well, here we are at the end of the show, and we're at the end of the year. And I just, I wanted to take a second and just say, Bree, you know, um, thanks for a great year. This is a, this is thanks, a big Paul. one for us. This is our third calendar year together. Isn't we're that making crazy? this show, and. Uh, it's like 700 and something episodes. Or as Liz Lemon would say, 700 mini strokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Justine, too, thank you. We love your yeah. insight and we love uh, we love having a political insider that has a great sense of humor and loves food. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need to have the balance of someone that knows two different kinds of things that are equally important to Denverites. <laughs> well, thank you both. I really respect the work you do and I really um, enjoy the way you represented Denver. Thank you. That's really nice to say. Thanks, you guys. Can't wait to see you next year. Yeah, you too. You too. Hey, listeners, if you feel the same way, check out membership.citycast.fm and think about becoming a member today. Bye, guys. Bye. See you later. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Dylan Brogan, Natalie Rivera, and Olivia Jewell-Love. Peyton Garcia and Adrian Gonzalez write our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. Plus a special Christmassy mix of one of our usual tracks by listener and Denver local, Jacob Bloom. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, rate us five stars, follow us on Instagram at CityCast Denver, chat with other listeners at the CityCast Denver subreddit, and tell the estate of Luis Jimenez Jr. about us next time you see them. You can sign up for that daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you in the new year. And we got some juicy predictions for 20... Juicy predictions? Some...